Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. On this Memorial Day weekend, and this weekend we remember the sacrifices that were made to allow us the freedoms that we have as Americans. Men and women who have served in our military forces, including those who have given their lives to protect our freedoms. Before we continue, I'd like to uh, recognize those who have served or currently serving in the armed forces. And I know we regularly do this and want to recognize you multiple times. Uh, And some of you are like, well, you know, I need to recognition, but we want to recognize you. So if you have served or are currently serving, would you please stand? All right, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you very much for your service. Memorial Day is also a great opportunity for us to be reminded of that great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God sending His Son to come and to die for our sins. And uh, we just celebrated that reminder as we took communion. And we celebrate Christ's sacrifice, but many people still struggle with the depth and breadth of that sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. And this morning, as we look at the book of Philippians, the first six verses of chapter 3, we are reminded that salvation comes in Christ alone. And the church at Philippi was a group of people that that had some that had come in and who were false teachers, and they promoted salvation as something that a person earns. Yes, Christ died, but... This group of people, they're called the Judaizers, would say, but you still need to follow the law. You still need to fulfill this punch list of things that you are to do, rituals you are to follow, actions you are to take. And Paul in these verses reminds each of us, just as he reminded them, that salvation is in Christ alone. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before You, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we be challenged in our relationship with You. And Lord, as we look back at this remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us, may we rejoice and Lord, live changed lives because of You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Now, most of us in this room, if not all of us, have filled out a resume. And in these verses, Paul sort of shares a little bit of his resume. But the goal of a resume is to uh, share your skills, your experience, your character traits in order to convince a potential employer that you are the person best suited to fill the position being offered. So I had to Google some humorous resume statements, and I found a list of some of the very funny skills, traits 
that were found on actual resumes. And if you Google it, you will find a ton of them. And I, I picked out a few, probably more than I should have because I couldn't limit it down anymore. But I wanted us to look at a few, and I put them on the board because some of you have to see. You can't just hear. So let's look at these. Uh, can solve a Rubik's Cube in under a minute. Or can drink a gallon, some many skilled people here, can drink a gallon of milk in 10 seconds. And these were supposedly on actual resumes. I don't know if he was looking for a job at a dairy or what. I don't know. The next one, a special quality. And this person put down, this guy put down a special quality. He can impress any girl within five minutes. And he had separated the with and the in, so he didn't even know his English that well. How about this one? You're always looking for, a, for an employee that is adept in the fine art of pretzel folding. Or, or this one, I, I can cook minute rice in 58 seconds. Obviously, this was a very efficient person. All right, I had to give a few more here. All right, these are the last ones. Always uses just the right amount of salt, no matter the shaker. Now we get into some more skills here. Uh, this person put their main skills, creativity, bravery, arrogance, cleverness, and honesty. Okay. Uh, the next person with their experience, they said they are a notary republic. And the last one here, and, and this was one of my favorites. And, and by the way, you've got to go Google. There's, there's a ton of really funny ones. But this one, I, I love this one. Strong work ethic, attention to detail, team player, self-motivated, attention to detail. Uh, either that, they were, they were either not very attentive to their detail, they really wanted people to know that they were attentive, attentive to their detail. But a resume. So here in Philippians chapter 3, Paul shares a warning, but he also shares his personal resume. And... It's a reminder that no matter what we do, we need to trust Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. Follow along as I read Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Finally, or further, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision, or true circumcision, who worship Christ, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have, he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So what is Paul doing here? He, he shares a warning and then his example or his resume. And in the first three verses, he, he uses sets of three. In these three verses, he shares three warnings and three signs of what it means to be a true believer. Verse 1 begins, finally, or further, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. He's saying, I have said this before. We go back to chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, and you see it. And throughout the book, he's reminding of them, reminding of them of this 
Because he says, but for you it is safe. He will say it over and over again. Sort of like if you have a young person just starting to drive and you have some different things you want them to remember. You may remind them more than once. Paul is saying, listen folks, I'm reminding you more than once. And I'm going to continue to remind you because you need to hear this and you need to follow this. And then he goes on in verse 2 with these warnings. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. And then in verse 3, these true or signs of true believers. We are the circumcision or true circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, who rejoice in Christ Jesus, and who have no confidence in the flesh. So he starts with a challenge to rejoice, not in their circumstances, but in Christ. Not in their accomplishments, but in Christ. And then he goes into these three warnings. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of the mutilation. It was actually one warning, and he pictured it in three different ways. And what was the warning? Beware of these false teachers who are teaching a works-based salvation. This teaching that they needed to follow the law in order to be saved and entrusting their own accomplishments for their salvation. He begins, beware of dogs. Now, the Orthodox Jews would call the Gentiles dogs. Now, Paul turned the tables and he called those who taught that you must rely upon your works and rely upon the Jewish law. He called them the dogs. Now, these weren't pet dogs. These were wild scavengers that roamed about and plagued ancient cities. They had lots of dogs roaming the streets and they were to beware of the dogs. Now, I remember when I was in kindergarten or first grade, and I don't know if my parents even know this story, so I'm uh, going to be uh, confessing here, but the, the time limits have expired on this one. But uh, we lived on the edge of town, and uh, it was a lot shorter when I came home from school to cut through our neighbor's field to get to our place. And our neighbors had a German shepherd. And this German shepherd had his doghouse sort of sitting out in the, in the field area. They had probably an acre or so of land. I don't know, maybe not quite that much. As a little kid, it seemed like it was about a mile. But, uh, so anyway, I would cut through there to get home quicker. And so as I was cutting through one day, and I'm sure my parents had told me, beware of the dogs, but this dog started coming towards me, and I wasn't worried because he was on a chain. But as I was cutting across, and I was very good at mathematics, I knew the best angle to cut across, all of a sudden his chain started to get longer and longer and longer. And he met me before his chain ended. And I got a nice little... Uh, bite in my hindquarters to head home a little faster and cry a little harder as I made my way home. Beware 
of the dogs. You know, for a long time after that, I didn't even cut through the very corner of their yard field. I made sure I gave wide berth to that dog. Paul is telling these people, listen, this is dangerous. What these people are teaching is wrong. And if you rely on that, you have no hope of salvation. He says, beware of evil workers. These teachers would consider themselves good. But what they taught actually turned people away from God and away from the true way of salvation. And then beware of the mutilation. Refers to circumcision. Circumcision was a sign of the Jews. Paul reminded them that following this ritual and the other rituals was not connected with a pure heart in following God. In fact, we talk about the true circumcision. Those who are changed inwardly. Not just a simple set of rituals and laws that they follow. It's interesting as Jesus spoke in the Gospels during His ministry on earth, His focus in His chastisement was upon the religious leaders. Why? I mean, He said some pretty harsh things. He called them the blind leading the blind. He he compared them to whited sepulchers and and the Jews weren't to uh, touch anything that was dead. And so they would whitewash their graves so people wouldn't accidentally step on it and become ceremonially unpure. And so he said, you're like that sepulcher. You're all cleaned up on the outside, but on the inside you're filled with those same dead bones. And he challenged people to recognize that God's salvation was through grace alone. And those religious leaders were foolish in thinking they could meet the standard that God requires for salvation. The Jews and the rituals that they tried to fulfill were worthless in attempting to earn salvation. Now, why did God set those things up in the Old Testament? He set up the ceremonies. He set up some of the things. I mean, He asked them to do these things. Why? They pointed to Christ. They reminded them of their impurity, but they pointed to Christ. The sacrifices that they made were steps of faith, but they pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And so we see... Paul is reminding these people it's not about a set of rules. It's not about a punch list of actions that I can complete. It's not saying, okay, you know, I go to church and so I must be a Christian or my parents were Christians so I must be a Christian or I'm a pretty good person. I don't steal pens from my workplace so I must be a Christian. And we... We compare ourselves to our neighbor. Well, look at them. I'm better than them. So God's going to say, hey, you're pretty good. Come on in. But God says, 
that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. The, the best that we have is like a dirty rag because God's standard is perfection. And so these Judaizers were coming in and, and they were saying, alright folks, yeah, Jesus Christ, His sacrifice was great, but it was Jesus plus. But you know, the same struggle that people faced in the first century there in the church at Philippi and other churches with the idea of I'm going to earn my salvation is the same struggle that people have today. And you may be in this room this morning or watching online and you say, yeah, you know, I, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a churchgoer. I, I uh, read the Bible. But if you're trusting your works to get to heaven, or you think a relationship with God is simply a, a punch list of actions that you're to take, you're missing out what it's all about. It's about coming to a point in your life where you recognize that you have no hope without Jesus Christ. And in Christ and Christ alone is your salvation. And that is hard. Because I have to admit that I'm a sinner. I have to admit that I can't do it. Now this weekend, uh, many of us have projects, right? Now, Maybe you have a barbecue or you're going to head out to the lake later on, whatever. But uh, you, a lot of us have projects. And, and one of the things that's hardest for me is when there's a project that I don't know I have the skill or knowledge to complete. And I don't know, especially for guys, this is hard. I think it's hard for everyone. But, you know, guys, we don't want to ask directions. And we don't want to ask for help. Because that means we can't do it ourselves. But in our relationship with Christ, we can have that same struggle. I want to earn it. And God says, no, it's a free gift. It's only possible Jesus Christ. So then he goes on and he shares... His own example, giving his own resume, reminding them. But he, he says salvation is not about a ritual. But there's three characteristics of a true follower of Christ. In verse 3, he just lists them out. He says, they worship God in spirit. They don't depend upon their own works. They boast in Christ. Their boast is not in their own works, but rather in the finished work of Christ in order to provide salvation, to provide relationship with a holy God. And they have no confidence in the flesh. They recognize that they cannot earn eternal life in their own power, but only in Christ and Christ alone. It's not Christ plus, it's Christ alone. 
So he shares his own resume to remind them of this. And we find that resume, or his example, in verses 4 through 6. It says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. In other words, Paul says, listen, you put up your resume against my resume, my resume is going to win. I mean, I can cook minute rice in 58 seconds. I have a lot of attention to detail. In fact, I double up on it. He said, look at my resume. And he goes on and he shares a little bit of his resume. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What's he saying here? You see, Paul before he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus when Christ exposed him. He was trusting in his own works, his own actions for his relationship with God. So he, he lists out a little bit of his resume. He began by sharing his heritage he was born in a pure Jewish family. Family that fulfilled the Jewish rituals. He was born in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, now all the tribes obviously were pure Jewish, but Benjamin, one of the honored tribes, one of Jacob's favorite sons, and it was a tribe of the first king of Israel. Impressive pedigree. Impressive heritage. His heritage was something he could be proud of. He also shared his position. He was not only a pure-blooded, ritual-following Jew, but he was a Pharisee. These were the creme de la creme. He was the pinnacle of the religious people. There, there were never more than 6,000 Pharisees at a time. The name means the separated ones. They were special people. He was a religious leader. Not just a religious person. He was a leader. He was under the training of the best teachers. I mean, he was summa cum laude. I always say Lottie, and I know it's Lot or Lottie. Anybody want to correct me on how to exactly say that? I just sort of, sort of slurred, and nobody knows, right? I wasn't that, so I didn't have to learn it. You know, he was impressive in his heritage and in his position and also in his actions. He wasn't just a religious people and a person in following the law. He was religious in his zeal. And he took this as a positive thing that he persecuted those that he felt opposed the Jewish faith. Those were the Christians. He saw these actions against the followers of Christ that, that he was keeping the Jewish faith pure. 
he could then sum up his resume by claiming to be blameless. He followed the law completely. And blameless, not only could he consider himself, but others around him looked at him with awe. Pure Jew, a prestigious position, zeal and and protecting the Jewish faith. People around him were like, wow, that's at the name, at the time his name was Saul, but that's Saul. I mean, top ten religious people in their sphere, (laughs) Saul was probably on that list. He was amazing. Next week, we're going to go into the next verses in verse 7. It says that Paul did a little calculating. For all of you who enjoy math, next week is the week for you to be here. Because he did a little mathematical equation. But he recognized, and he wanted them to recognize that it's not about what I do. How do faith and works work together? My faith leads to a changed life. See, yeah, as a follower of Christ, I should live differently. Why? Because of my relationship with God and the change inside affects how I live. I don't live to impress God. God has changed me to live differently. And that's the challenge that Paul is giving. Don't trust your resume because you're not going to get the position. While his reputation may be considered spotless, he found out when he met Jesus Christ that it fell short of what was needed. But unfortunately, there in Philippi and around the world at that time and today, people are trying to earn a relationship with God. When God said, for by grace are you saved, through faith, then not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Grace, something that's undeserved, but it's given. Mercy, something that is given to me. Not something that I earned. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for me. But I must do two things. I must first agree with God in who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God who came as a perfect sacrifice for my sin. And I must accept that gift can't earn it. 
I must accept it. Humbly recognizing that on my own, I have no hope. But in Christ alone, I can have eternal life. Now, if you're here this morning and you have never done that, you've never come to that point, maybe you've been faithful in church attendance and trying to serve people around you for your entire life. But you need to recognize that that's never good enough. Paul in the book of Romans says if we confess with our mouth then we can have eternal life. And you need to do that today. To simply ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, to be your Savior, and then to allow Him to change you. Yeah. As a follower of Christ, you are different. Not to become a follower of Christ, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You may be here and you say, well, John, that's really nice, but I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, just like Memorial Day is a reminder for us to be thankful and grateful for the freedoms that we have and to be thankful to those who have given their service and many given their lives to protect those freedoms. We need to live our lives in response to the one who has given us our eternal freedom. My life needs to be different today because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And we are called to be thankful and to live differently. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that as Almighty God, you love us more than we can imagine. And you provided salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as Paul reminded those people in Philippi and reminds us, let's rejoice in Christ. Lord, those here this morning or listening and watching online who maybe have never come to that point, where in humility they've asked for your forgiveness, may today be the day they call out to you and ask for your sacrifice, for your forgiveness for their sins. We thank you for the freedoms that we have as Americans and for those who have given, served, and even given their lives. Lord, help us never to take that for granted. Lord, help us, more importantly, never to take for granted the freedom that we have in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.